Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dana Buckler Show. My name is Dana, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Michael Scott. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well, sir. How are you today? I am doing good. Thank you so much for asking. So we are now on to our next franchise retrospective. The Terminator franchise retrospective that we did was incredibly well received. You know, you and I were kicking around ideas and I mean, we probably came up with a list of 20 different film franchises to cover. So it, it really became a question of, well, which one do we do next? And this one was always in the discussion. Whenever we were talking about doing either, you know, Fast and Furious, Die Hard, any of them, this one always crept always to the top of the list. So of course, for those listening, they've seen the title of this episode. So we are talking about the Rambo franchise. Now, this film franchise begins in 1982, and the last film came out last year in 2019. So we're talking about nearly 40-year-long franchise. So Mike, we're going to get into a lot of discussion over these next episodes about how these films sort of evolve. But I'm just going to ask you a basic question of what is your thoughts overall on John Rambo, the character. Overall, I love Rambo. I love John Rambo, the character. I love that it can be used much like the Rocky series can. It's also a, a mirror reflection of Sylvester Stallone's career. And, you know, and I mentioned several times in the, the Terminator series that I was always a Stallone guy more than a Schwarzenegger guy. Now, that Terminator series really, really made me a, a Schwarzenegger fan. I don't know that this will necessarily do the same thing for me, but I love the idea of John Rambo. I, without, you know, getting too far ahead of us or that, I don't think the movies always live up to the potential of the character, but when they do, man, they're, they're great. They're great. I love them. Um, and I, and I really do love the way Stallone has chosen to kind of play Rambo throughout this series. Yeah. And I'm going to second everything you said there. And I'm going to mention something about, and of course, not going to show my, my cards on the entire franchise, but a, a theme that you really sort of coined, if you will, was efficiency in films. And the thing about the the five films in the Rambo franchise, with the exception of Rambo 3, the other four films, they're 90, right in that 90 minute mark. Like these are not overly long films. They get in and they do their job. And that's one thing that I've always liked about this film is that is, you know, regardless of what you might think about each one individually, they're they get in, do their job and get out. Would you agree? Absolutely. And I think some of that comes from, you know, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but one of the other things that we're going to be doing in this series is for me, I know you had read them, but for me, I'm reading the David Morrell books for the first time as we're going through this. And, you know, I'll tell you, I think a lot of that kind of comes from the original First Blood book. Like Morrell is a not wasted. He he wastes no words in his writing at all. Uh, I think the original book, according to Wikipedia, you know, obviously book depending on the font and stuff differs, but the original printing was like 250 pages or something like that. That is an efficient book in the era of say your wheel of times or, or your fantasy novels that routinely clock in at 900 to a thousand pages. That is an efficient book. And I think the movies replicate that they, there's not a lot of fat on And in fact, I would contend that, that again, We'll talk more as we go farther in the series. Maybe some of them could have used a little bit more running time. Yeah. Um, some of them could have used a little bit more fleshing out. I want to just go ahead and put that out there that there are going to be some major spoilers for the book in this episode. So if you ha and I, I think you and I are going to unanimously agree that this is a book that people should seek out and read. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's fantastic. Um, I'll talk, you know, we'll talk about the differences and, and I'll kind of sum up my feelings, like which I prefer the movie or the book. But I, regardless, I think you need to read the book. The book is incredible. And I think uh, it will come might come as a surprise to some people to realize that this this Rambo franchise is based off of this book, which was released in 1972. I mean, the Vietnam War was still going on at the time. So I wonder if you could just sort of speak to sort of, you know, the impact that this novel probably had when it was released. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a it was a definitely a bestseller. David Morrell was a 
up and coming author at that point. He had had a couple of other big hits. He's his he's a he's a professor, a writing professor, but he had the opportunity because he was a professor to have met and interacted with a bunch of vets who had come back and were trying to go to school and and stuff like that. And so he kind of took some of their stories and sort of distilled them down into this. On top of that, he was particularly fascinated by uh, Audie Murphy. For those who don't know, Audie Murphy was an actual, like a legitimate World War II hero who had basically was responsible for killing over, I think it was like 240 Nazis single-handedly during a battle. He came back, he was given the the Medal of Honor and uh, more medals than you could possibly count. Became an actor, but also suffered from severe PTSD and had some pretty significant problems uh, throughout his life. And so Morell kind of took all of those together and and synthesized them into this character of Rambo and and the book was was popular it had a major impact it it had some negative impacts as well as far as creating a little bit of the cliche of the sociopathic Vietnam vet that returns, which is something we can kind of talk about as we talk about the series. You know, the idea that all vets coming home are, are emotionally broken or psychopaths but it was a very very impactful book it immediately was snatched up uh the rights were snatched up to turn it into a movie and then unfortunately it took 15 years or so well i guess about 10 years or so for everybody to figure out how to actually turn it into a movie there's lots to talk about we want to talk about the director we want to talk about the cast let's talk about sylvester stallone right now you have been incredibly vocal and very high on your love of Arnold Schwarzenegger. We are now going into a filmography and a franchise that stars, I guess you could say almost his bitter rival in the 1980s, Sylvester Stallone. So what is your thoughts on Sylvester Stallone, the actor? I I love Stallone. I find his career to be fascinating, and I think we'll be able to pull some of those threads up uh, apart as we go through this series. I've always just naturally gravitated towards Stallone. That might be partially because of Rambo, to be honest with you. I really, really was a big Rambo fan and especially a, a very seminal movie in my life, uh, which a lot of people don't like. I still love was 1985's Cobra because I just I was the perfect age. I was I think it was nine when Cobra came out. It was the perfect age for that movie. People who don't let their children watch R rated movies are horrified that I'm saying that. But quite frankly, like nine to 13 year olds is the that's the target demographic for Cobra. Like adults, that's the nobody. No adult is looking at Cobra and going, I love this movie. Like, that's a 13-year-old movie, right? And so I've just always gravitated towards Stallone more. I, I've liked his sense of humor, but I can honestly also say I'm not sure that I've ever seen an actor who has been, or a creator, because he obviously directs and writes and produces, but I'm not sure that I've ever seen a creator that is more self-destructive than Sylvester Stallone. You know, he has a major hit and then he immediately follows it up with some of the just worst movies you'll ever see. And so I think his career is also fascinating because he's well known to have a large ego. I'm not, I'm not saying anything defamatory there. I mean, that's a pretty well-known statement. And a lot of times that ego gets in the way and then he gets humbled. And it's like, it's when he's humbled that I feel like we get something really terrific from him. So as much as I've loved Schwarzenegger, I will say at his best, I prefer Stallone's best movies to Schwarzenegger's best movies. I do think Schwarzenegger has an overall higher run of quality throughout his career. The thing about Stallone versus, I'm just going to do sort of the Stallone versus Schwarzenegger situation here. You know, when Schwarzenegger came to America, he, it was for bodybuilding. He wanted to become the, the best bodybuilder in the world. And he accomplished that. What was he like a six time Mr. Olympia, something to that effect? I, I don't know a lot about bodybuilding, but I think that's pretty established that he became sort of the top 
of that world, uh, and then sort of parlayed that success into an acting career. One of the things that I've always respected about Sylvester Stallone was this was a guy who, by all accounts, could have given up on acting. Uh, by the you know by the nineteen like sixty nine nineteen seventy, the guy's living in a bus station in New York City, a Port Authority bus station. He has no money. We are aware of his very first film, his on screen appearance. Correct. Uh, are you talking about the party at Kitty and Studs? Correct. Yeah, he was yeah. paid two hundred dollars for that. But this is a guy who who sacrificed everything to get into acting. And when you look at you know obviously putting the party at Kitty and Studs aside, and and listeners, you can just Google that. We're not going to get into a discussion about that film, but that was. What was available for him at the time? He has bit parts in 1973's No Place to Hide, a supporting role in The Lords of Flatbush, Capone. He's very iconic role in Death Race 2000. Let's pause and talk about that one just for a moment. Roger Corman, Death Race 2000. What are your thoughts on the film? Stars David Carradine, if I, if I recall oh, I, correctly. I haven't seen it in yeah, years. I love it. It's one of the movies that is kind of the pinnacle of what Corman's factory could do. You know, it's super low budget, but it's got some really interesting actors and it tries to say something. There's, and, and frankly, Death Race 2000, the biggest problem with it was when it came out, it was maybe a little bit even ahead of its time. I think it's just as relevant now as it would have been then. I think David Carradine's great in it. Stallone is just an utter just asshole in it. And and he and I mean that in the best way. He plays that that's his character and he plays that character incredibly well. Uh, if you haven't seen Death Race 2000 or like you Dana you haven't seen it recently, it's well worth seeking out and checking out. And 1975 is a another small role in Farewell, My Lovely. Then we get to 1976. And again, this speaks to sort of the persistence of Stallone. He is inspired by a fight that he sees with Muhammad Ali and Chuck Webner, known as the Biome Bleeder, where Chuck Webner goes the distance with Ali. And he is inspired by that. Some might say super heavily inspired by that. I think there were some lawsuits involved with with Rocky. That's a discussion for another franchise discussion. But he writes the script for Rocky, and it's really good. And he is offered $400,000. That's a lot of money today. And that's what he was offered in 76 to sell this film. And he refused to sell it unless he was able to actually star in Rocky. And I think he ended up selling the script for 10000 and, you know, a million dollar budget. And we all know Rocky went on to become Best Picture for 1976. And it just catapulted him into superstardom. So I'll just ask you again, briefly, your thoughts on Rocky. Yeah, I mean, I love Rocky. I love everything about Rocky. I love the Rocky series. There's in, you know, and again, don't want to get too deep into it. Because that's clearly another franchise that's that's on our list. Although you are doing that with your with your friend other Mike uh, to cover it, but I think it's you know I don't like Rocky Five. Other than that, I pretty much like every other Rocky movie. And again, much like the character of John Rambo, no matter the quality of the movies, I love the character of Rocky Balboa. I I, I think he's such a great character, and he's so. It's so funny because I think what's fascinating here is Stallone's two most famous characters, Rocky and Rambo. You know, I mentioned earlier that he's known for having a giant ego and being very arrogant and being very difficult to work with. And and, and that's fairly well documented. I think it's fascinating that that guy gives us two of what I think are two of the most sympathetic but also empathetic this is going to sound weird with Rambo, but kind-hearted characters in in cinema history. And and so it's so funny because they feel so close to Stallone, but also so different from him, which is why I've always defended him as a far better actor than people are giving him credit for, because he's kind of known as an arrogant dick. Rocky is not an arrogant dick, and in fact, that's kind of one of the arcs of that character is when he starts to get arrogant, he loses everything, right? Yep. Which is also very similar to Stallone's career. Yeah, I love Rocky. There's just, again, I don't want to go too far into it because that's a different franchise for a different podcast. But Well, an argument could be made that the Rocky movies mirrored what was going on in his life. At the time, you know, like when you by the time you get to Rocky four, you know, he's the king of the world. And then he has, you know, 
makes a nice little run with, like you said, Cobra and then uh, Rambo 3. Tango and Cash was not well received critically, but was still popular. And then by the time you get to Rocky 5, he just goes on this sort of slump. Oscar, Stop, or My Mom Will Shoot. Now, these are all movies we'll get to when we get into later episodes. But yeah, I think the argument can be made that, that especially the Rocky films, how his character is in that film really mirrors what was going on in his life. And he's really carried that over into the Creed movies too, yeah. right? You know, like, I mean, Creed is arguably my favorite Stallone performance of them all. And and then that involves him mentoring an up-and-coming boxer but we also have him you know michael b jordan is i think one of the most exciting actors we have working right now i'm fascinated to see where he goes with his career because i can't my eyes are glued to the screen every time he's on the screen in a movie and then you know you get creed 2 and he's kind of passing the torch a little bit and and taking you know we get the end he's taking a step back and there's so much good in the rocky series and in that I think, again, I don't want to show our cards for the whole series, but regardless of what I may say about the actual movie we're talking about in the Rambo series, I will say that about the Rambo series, too. I think there is a lot of good in that series. Again, the movies may not always live up to it, but if you look between the lines and you close your eyes a little bit and you just take the movies in... There's a lot of really good stuff going on here. Yeah. So after Rocky, we get 78 Fist, 78 Paradise Alley, 79 Rocky 2, uh, 1981 Nighthawks. Here's a Stallone film that I still have yet to see. I've never seen Nighthawks. What are your thoughts on that film? If I'm not mistaken, I think it's either on Netflix or Amazon Prime right now. You should watch it because it's awesome. Okay. It's it's Stallone, it's Billy D. Williams, and it's Rutger Hauer. Uh, Rutger Hauer plays a terrorist. Uh, Stallone and Billy D. Williams play cops who are trying to stop him. It is just a gritty, sleazy, nasty little 1981 action movie. It's almost kind of like a proto-Cobra, but... Stallone's a lot more restrained in it. I really, really like Nighthawks. I, I really encourage anybody who hasn't seen Nighthawks to watch it. If I remember correctly, Nighthawks was modestly successful. It wasn't it wasn't a huge hit like on the Rocky levels. Yeah, modestly might even be a little generous. Okay. Um it, it wasn't really a uh it wasn't really a, a smash. And in fact, one of the problems that Stallone was having leading into First Blood was Rocky, Rocky Two, and Rocky Three were all massively successful, but he was struggling to break out. His other movies just weren't taking off the way that the Rocky movies were. Then after Rocky Two, after Nighthawks is uh, Escape to Victory, of course, in eighty one, eighty two is Rocky Three, which was massive, like you said, massively successful. Introduced the world to Mr. T. I mean, Clubber Lang. One of my still one of my favorite of the Rocky films just just on a pure you know it's a fun movie then we have 1982 we have First Blood which we'll talk about Stallone in the film in a moment let's talk about the director for a moment Ted Kotchoff a director that I'm really not that familiar with he's not a director that I you can you can name a director a certain director me and I'm going to rattle off all their films and I'm going to be able to rank them and tell you this is my favorite and this is why I really like what they did with this film this is a director that I'm just frankly not that familiar with so you know i'm looking at his filmography uh 1971 we've got wake and fright uh 74 the apprenticeship of duty kravitz 74 billy two hats 77 fun with dick and jane uh mike what do you know about this director so i've actually seen quite a few of ted kotchoff's movies i i think he's actually a, a pretty underappreciated director and and we'll kind of talk a little bit more that i think he was a a good director for for first blood you know he was kind of a journey he's kind of a journeyman director um he did a lot of tv stuff you know he later in his career he did a crap ton of law and order uh episodes he very much cut his teeth on TV. And one of the advantages of that is that when you cut your teeth as a TV director, you learn how to direct quickly and efficiently and get to the point. And so, yeah, his first really relevant movie was called Wake and Fright, which people, if you haven't seen it, I really recommend. It's a it's a nasty little piece of, we call it, it's Ozploitation, which is uh, Australian exploitation films. And it was kind of one of the first Ozploitation movies. It's about a teacher that 
that gets stranded in a in a small town in the outback where everybody's just wild and crazy and tough and he has to you know learn how to sort of defend himself while also descending into madness i don't want to say any more about it but it's is one of the movies that kind of put australian cinema on the map and paved the way for that really that golden age of late 70s through late 80s exploitation when we got mad max and and then razorback and just all these great australian movies um he also directed a a very entertaining football movie called north dallas 40 uh starring nick nolte and and charles durning that's really loosely based on kind of the dallas cowboys and if you like an old school 19 you know if you're a fan of say uh slap shot if you like hockey north dallas 40 is kind of the football equivalent of of slap shot um and so i think it's it's really worth watching that being said i can't really say that there's anything in his career that would have led me to believe that what he was about to do with first blood would be what he was about to do with first blood okay next on the next on the list of people involved in this film would be Brian Dennehy, who unfortunately passed away just a couple months ago at the age of 81. And just going over his filmography, you know, he's he's really coming into the scene. I think he's really coming onto the scene with First Blood. I think that's when he really kind of becomes more of a household name. His first acting credit is listed in 1977 as Looking for Mr. Goodbar. 77 is Semi-Tough. 78 is Fist, which, again, that is a, also a Stallone film. 78, Foul Play. 79, uh, Butch and Sundance. The Early Days. Let's pause on that one for a moment. Have you seen that? I have not. I only remember it because of Bill and Ted's bogus journey when they're challenging death. At one point, one of the games they're playing, he answers Butch and Sundance, the early days. <laughs> and I, I've never actually seen the movie, though. I just always remember it from Bill and Ted. 1979, at Blake Edwards 10, which has that been lost to the sands of time? Do people, is there, are there, is there whole generations that don't understand the impact that that film had? I think there is, and I think if they were to understand, they would, let's just say that uh, lenses would certainly be different. Our views of it would certainly yes. be different now. It might be a movie that's better left to the sands of time. Fair enough. Uh, 1980, Little Miss Marker, 82, Split Image, and then 82, First Blood. And we're going to talk about their their performances in the films, but then we need to also talk about Richard Crenna. His filmography dates back to 1950. Well, 1950s. Got a couple uncredited roles and some westerns, and then he starts getting credited roles all the way back to 1952. I'm just going to go through some of these films here that are just listed: Made in Paris, The Sand Pebbles, Wait Until Dark, Maroon, Doctor's Wife. I mean, would you say classic character actor, or do you think he had a bigger presence than that? No, I think classic character actor. I think both he and Dennehy fall into that Kotcheff category of they cut their teeth in TV shows. You know, if you look at their IMDb's, there's a lot of TV shows going on here. You know, uh, Crenna was in a, a show called The Real McCoys where he was in 225 episodes. Oh. I don't know anything about that show, but, he, you know. You do 225 episodes of a TV show, you're going to learn some craft, right? You're going to learn how to to act. You know, Dennehy was on da or Dynasty for a while. Like, so what we're getting with this movie a lot is a lot of people who are really pros, but not big names. And, and Krenna, I think, is especially important because he came in literally the weekend they started filming. You know, they had wanted Kirk Douglas. They had wanted a bunch of other big names to play his part. And they all dropped out. And I mean, he came in as they started filming. So he had to learn his lines on the fly, which, again, is where that TV, because you have to do that a lot in TV, right? Because, a, you know, a movie can take 12 to 16 weeks or even longer to film a TV show. They routinely shoot those in six to seven days. You got to learn your lines real fast. And so his massive TV experience, I think, really helped. Um, and that, that might be why they ended up bringing him in. And now, you know, I don't want to discount his career because he's had a good one. But I would say that I think 
Sam Troutman is probably his definitive role, yeah. right? If you were to ask most people who Richard Crenna is, they're going to be like, oh, he's Colonel Troutman. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. And it's fascinating to to know that, like you said, he, he came on last minute because, and we'll get to it, but he's just has such a defining character, especially in this movie. Uh, First Blood was released on October 22nd, 1982. It has a running time of 93 minutes. It was made on a budget of 15 million and went on to gross 125 million worldwide, which is a nice chunk of change for 1982. So Mike, I'm going to ask you the question, when did First Blood come on your radar? So, 82, I would have been five. First Blood didn't really come on my radar. Um, What did come on my radar was three years later, Rambo First Blood Part 2. That was high on my radar because at that point, I was old enough. I was knee deep, even at that wee young age, into being an action aficionado you know i I mean anybody that follows me on twitter kind of knows action's my thing like that's what i do and and so i was already starting that so first blood came on my radar as the prequel to rambo Uh, and so when i saw rambo i went back and watched first blood and i will not lie at eight or nine years old rambo is a far more entertaining movie to an eight or nine year old first blood didn't do a ton for me other than I was always obsessed with Rambo's knives. Um, And so, you know, his knife was super cool because back then you could even get toys of these kinds of movies. And so you could get toy like I had a Rambo First Blood Part 2 kit that I got at Toys R Us that had like a plastic Uzi and a plastic combat knife and a Rambo headband and all sorts of shit. It was awesome. It was glory days before, you know, we started shooting kids for having toy guns, which is why those things don't exist anymore. Anyway, point being, I retroactively found First Blood and it took a while for me to actually come around to First Blood. I would say I didn't really get First Blood until maybe high school. For me, very much the same thing. Let's see, 82, I would have been four years old. I don't even think I saw Rambo First Blood Part 2 until I was probably 10 or 11. So we're talking like 88, 89. And even then, I remember it was, you know, a dubbed VHS copy off of, you know, HBO or something to that effect. And to be honest with you, wasn't really even the biggest fan of Rambo First Blood Part 2. And I think a lot of it played into my actual viewing experiences of the film. I mean, we're talking, when I say like a dub VHS, I'm talking like tracking issues, you know, wavy lines a few times. Like it just, and I never really... I was more, I was more, I, I don't think I've even talked about this. I was more of a Schwarzenegger guy when it came to action films because Commando and Predator and all those movies had come on my radar. And I hadn't seen, besides Rocky, I hadn't seen a lot of Stallone action films. Now, having said all that, right around that time, I did also see First Blood. And I guess I might have had a different first viewing experience than than you did in that I remember in being like very engaged in the film at 10 or 11 years old and probably not even correlating that it was you know a Rambo movie like I just I don't even think I was putting the two together it wasn't until I think a couple viewings later I was like okay this is actually the prequel or this is the first film in this series and then I would go back and watch Rambo First Blood 2 with a new fresh set of eyes so I had I remember having sort of a, a good experience watching it but not really understanding the gravity of the film until, like you said, till like I was well into high school and 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 beyond. Yeah, and and one thing that is going to be relevant, I think, for this conversation for me is um, I also, for a variety of reasons, one of which is my uncle was an actual Green Beret, and so any movie involving special forces or Green Berets was always kind of relevant to me. But two. I got obsessed with the Vietnam War from about the age of 9 or 10 to probably even, I would say, 14 or 15. I just, I, every school report I wrote, every project I did was always about Vietnam. I used to read all these, there was this series of trashy, like, men's adventure novels called Vietnam Ground Zero that actually, when I say trashy, I don't mean that in a negative. They were actually really well written and really good, uh, but they were still adventure novels. You know, I read every single one of those. There's like 36 of them. I read all of them. And so Rambo falling into that whole 
Vietnam component just made it the right movie at the right time for me. And obviously, as I got older, my opinions on Vietnam got a lot more nuanced, a lot more complicated. And I think that's why as I got older, First Blood started becoming a bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger part of this series for me. I think, and I'm, I'm coming up with some formulating this thought in real time, that growing up in Canada because I was 14 when I moved to the United States. You know, growing up in Canada, the, the, the Vietnam War obviously was had much a much different effect where I grew up because uh, nobody nobody was a Vietnam veteran from where I was from. For the, you know, I mean it was just one of these situations where I don't think that it was studied or in in the public conscience as much as it was certainly in the United States. I remember like my glimpses of the Vietnam War were Remember that show on CBS, Tour of Duty? Like I remember, I loved, yeah, I loved yeah. Tour of Duty. Like, but yeah. th that was sort of. I never was really able to correlate. You know, th the impact that the Vietnam War had on America, because I wasn't American. I was growing up in Canada, and again, it was once I moved to the United States and really started to understand like the the impact of that conflict of that war that I think I really began to respect the character of Ramble on a, on a completely different level. Well, and here's another thing that I think for our younger listeners, and that makes perfect sense, Dan. I mean, you're, you, you are, I forget that you're Canadian, but you are Canadian, you know? And so it's like the other thing to keep in mind for our younger listeners is so at the time this movie came out, there's some argument as to when the Vietnam War actually ended. But we pulled out in about 73. The actual war ended in 75. So let's just even go from 73. So this movie came out in 1982, nine years after the end of the war. We are almost we are more than two times farther from September 11th than we were from the end of the Vietnam War when this movie came out. Like, like Vietnam was still fresh to a lot of people. And so it is. It's like I knew vets. I knew people who fought in the war. The, the war was still a hotly debated subject uh, at the time that this came out. And so... You know, it would have been it's kind of like I guess the closest would have been how fast Oliver Stone kind of got out though his World Trade Center movie. Right. Yeah. You know, when it was still fresh. Vietnam was still fresh in people's minds. This movie was still relevant. It seems so far away. You know, Vietnam seems so far away now because it is it's 50 years removed. But in 1982 to, you know, 1985 or 86, it was not. It was still fresh in a lot of people's minds. And if we can just get into it just for a moment here, it was not a, not that war is ever popular. It's not. But this particular conflict was extremely unpopular for a lot of Americans, correct? Absolutely. You know, one of the things that really got me obsessed with Vietnam was we talked about, you know, that Rambo First Blood Part 2 came out in 85, but 86, we got Platoon and Platoon changed my life, you know, and yeah, it was not a pop, you know, it was like a lot of things, right? It was popular with a segment of society and it was very unpopular with a segment of society. But the biggest problem is any way you sliced it, nobody was happy. Nobody was happy. Uh, certain groups were not happy that we were there to begin with with and other groups were not happy that we pulled out and you know for lack of a better term lost and so nobody regardless of which side of the war you fell on was happy with how the war ended um and i think that context is so important to understand both the world that david morell's writing the book in but also the world that we are getting first blood in because without that context you don't understand rambo as a character um and so it, it is if you're listening to this and you're just watching first blood like do a little bit of research because you need that context that's what makes this movie you know, what it is, is it is that context. It could only have been made at the time it was made. With everything that's happened over the past 18, 19 years, you know, the, the conflicts that the United States has, has been involved in, the wars that the United States has been involved in, it genuinely, genuinely seems to me just from, and I've lived here for 25 plus years, so I've, I've seen it firsthand, that even those who oppose the conflicts that America is presently in, there still is unilateral support for, for soldiers, for our military. That was not the case with Vietnam. 
correct? Correct. No, and that's absolutely true. I, I, I feel like and, – and part of that I do think is maybe we have a little bit more nuanced understanding of – you know, and I'm, I've never been in the military. And, and obviously, folks, we are going to have to talk about some of this stuff. So don't – if we misstep or say things that are wrong, you know, I'm especially thinking of our, our friend Ryan Copiel yeah. that's listening – that's probably listening to this. You know, Ryan, you know, if we say anything that you disagree with or we're – were just wrong, reach out to me, man. I, I'm I'm not going to be upset. But I would say I feel like by and large, we have a more nuanced understanding that soldiers are soldiers. And what we really need to be mad at if we don't agree with, with what's going on is the people who are sending the soldiers to die. Um, I feel like we have a more nuanced understanding that by and large, soldiers come from, you know, socioeconomic classes that, that, that is a, a, an option, an opportunity for them to actually be in the military. And it's the people making the decisions that that doesn't feel like necessarily that was as prevalent in Vietnam, because honestly, we still had up until Watergate a kind of a trust in the powers that be. Um, and so it's only kind of that post Watergate cynicism that I think has allowed us to separate and say, blame the people who are responsible not the people who are just trying to survive. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. And that again has to speak to then this is all going back sort of to the context of the character in First Blood, uh John Rambo. I mean, this is a, a character who is immediately harassed in the film based on his appearance. You know, he's wearing, you know, he's got the he's got the military jacket with the flag and his, you know, and he's immediately harassed by Brian Dennehy by Teasel. And that's I just want to for the younger list to put the context in. Like that was that was a reality for a, a good portion of returning Vietnam veterans. Well, and I just think it's amazing. Teasel can't even comprehend that John is a vet. Right. Like he accuses him basically of like wearing somebody else's jacket initially, you know, at least that's the implication, because he says, if I remember, right, he says something along the lines of like, you know, a lot of people aren't going to like you wearing that jacket. Like it, it's the idea that this sort of long haired drifter could be a vet, let alone a Medal of Honor winner and a perfect killing machine can't even like Teasel can't even comprehend that um, and that just really does show that generation gap, and that's one of the things I'll say. The book really drives home is that generation gap between the Korean War and the Vietnam War, because Tiesel is a Korean War hero. We get implications of that in the movie, but in the book, it's made explicit. Rambo's of it, and they were two very different wars, and uh, I, I think that is really illustrated well here in in the opening of the movie. I mean, yeah, man, that's the thing that still kills me about this movie. Just let Rambo get a damn burger, and none of this yeah. happens. You know, when I was I watched this, uh, and I've seen this movie. I, I, you know, I can't put a number on how many times I've watched the film, but I was watching it this morning prior to uh, us recording. And what really struck me upon this first viewing was the opening of the film when Rambo is going to Delmar Barry's house. He's he's looking up one of his one of the guys that was in his platoon and he's you know, he's got the address written down. And, you know, you get the sense that it's taken him a long time just to just to get to this location. He's very cordial and he's very friendly. For those first couple of minutes when he gets there, he's 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 smiling. He's he's talking about, you know, they serve together and he shows the picture and he's sort of laughing. You know, he's right away. You like you're sort of establishing that this is not a bad guy. He's not a bad guy. And the, the shift that happens almost over, I mean, almost instantaneously when he is deals with Teasel, like this is a credit to the movie. And sort of how frustrating I, how frustrated that I was watching that. I was like, no, this is a good guy and, and you are just fucking with him right, right away just for his appearance. Well, and immediately that's one of the things that the book does that separates Rambo of the movie or the movie does that separates yeah. Rambo of the movie from the book, right? Because in the, in the book, he's just wandering through town. There is no Delmar Barry. And so what we get here instantly, immediately, the first two minutes of the movie is a far more sympathetic John Rambo, who, who's not even named John in the book. He's just known as Rambo, but where, yeah, he's the last of, of Baker team. Right. The last one is gone. He's all that's left. And you can see the way Stallone. And this is when I say that the, the empathetic 
sensitive way that Stallone plays this character. You can see it on his face. You feel a little bit of his soul die when she tells him that the Delmar's dead. And then on top of that, it's like, yeah, then Tiesel comes in. And, and I will admit, I actually think one of the other surprising differences that I got reading the book is Tiesel's not sympathetic's not the right word for Tiesel in the book, but he's a lot more understandable in the book. He certainly gives Rambo a lot more chances to leave. He's nicer to him at the start. You know, Brian Dennehy is pretty much just a bag of douche for minute one in this movie yeah. um which i think you need because if you're gonna have a more sympathetic rambo you've got to have nastier bad guys uh in the book rambo's a full-blown psychopath right he is a stone-cold killer and so it helps to have the antagonists be more sympathetic so we can kind of see that this is just a tragedy all around here it's a much more standard and i don't mean that in a negative way good versus evil rambo is the good guy. Uh, Teasel is the bad guy. And so I think the decisions they make for the movie work very well for the movie. What did you think about Brian Dennehy's performance overall in this film as as Will Teasel? I think I would have liked... Well, okay. First of all, his performance is great. Like, his performance is fantastic. Brian Dennehy, as far as I'm concerned, I haven't seen everything he's done, but I have never seen him give a bad performance. So, as far as I'm concerned, his performance is great. Having now read the book, I do wish a little bit more of that ambiguity had maybe been in the movie, but also at 92 minutes... I don't know that there was a lot of room for ambiguity. So I think he was the right villain, the right actor to play the right villain for the story that they're telling in the movie. Let's talk about Richard Crenna. How did you think he was overall? Like you've already kind of, I think, showed your cards on this when you said that Crenna is always going to be remembered for this role. I tr- I recruited him. I trained him. I commanded him for three years in Vietnam. Yeah, I think that makes him mine. Yeah, no, I mean, Kren is just absolutely stunning in this. He's the father of the broken son. And he knows, he knows, he's so good at conveying. He knows that Rambo is, I guess, morally in the right, but practically in the wrong. And all he's trying to do is bring him in. Just just bring his son home. He's so good. And on top of that, he is given a lot of dialogue to have to establish um, just how much of a threat Rambo is. And he delivers it all with such amazing, like, gravitas. You know, like, there's one quote. I just pulled up the quotes here. Teasel selling, you know, you telling me that 200 of our men against your boys is a no-win situation for us? And Troutman says, you send that many, don't forget one thing. What? A good supply of body bags. Yeah. Like, like you could play those lines and they would just come across as cheesy and terrible. But the way Krenna plays them, it's just like, oh, no. And coupled with what we've already seen Rambo do, it's like, yeah, no, like, He's just trying to keep people from getting killed. <laughs> and I think he's amazing in this. And and I'm I'm trying to just like this is one of those movies that I wish I had seen first time as an adult. You know, I like I wish I had seen it and what I mean by that is is imagine, you know, if you will, watching this film and not really understanding who Rambo is and you've already seen him systematically trap and hunt down all the deputies that are looking for him and you know right right to the that incredible scene where he's got the knife to teasel's throat and he's like i'll give you a war you wouldn't believe don't don't push it and then you've seen all of that and you're like who is this guy and then a troutman then goes into this big exposition dump about who he is like your mind must have been blown watching that for the first time yeah, I, I can't even comprehend how amazing, you know, and I love it because there's that David, David Caruso, who is great in yeah. this movie, yeah. by the way, in a very early David Caruso role. But when he gets over the radio, that Rambo's a Medal of Honor recipient. He's like, man, wait, he's a Medal of, we're not hunting him. He's hunting us. And it's just like, you're like, yeah, you guys, you picked a fight that you are not going to win. And I don't want it to be like, because this movie isn't rah, rah, hoorah, let's kick a bunch of ass. That That is not the movie that this is at all. But it is just 
so important to establish why this one man, why picking a fight with this one man was the absolute worst decision Teasel and Galt and all of his other deputies could have made. Um, and that if they had just been a little nicer, none of this happens. Yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, Jack Starrett as Art Galt. Again, major spoilers for this movie if you haven't seen it. I mean, we're, he's the only person that dies in this film. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah, yeah. No. Well, uh, so David Morell believes because I, I actually listen. David Morell, if you have the DVD or the Blu-ray, there's two commentaries. There's Stallone, which is delightful. But there's also David Morell. And he believes there's a scene where a police car gets turned over and catches on fire. His opinion is those guys died as well. But the only death we actually see on screen is Galt. He's literally the uh, and in fact, the movie makes it very clear that when Rambo's taking out Tiesel's, the rest of Tiesel's deputies, he's going out of his way not to kill him. Yeah. Um, and in fact, Troutman even says, you know, he he slipped up. Like the fact that any of you are still alive means he messed up. But Galt, Galt dies. He does, but and, and I don't even think that it was Rambo's intention to kill him. He was just trying to get the helicopter just to go away. He just throws a rock at the helicopter. And there's that scene where when Galt, he, you see him take his seatbelt off. You see him take a seatbelt off in the helicopter before he starts firing the sniper rifle at him. So it's almost like you, the movie wants to say, like, it was really Galt's poor decision that, that ultimately caused his, his death because he took off his seatbelt in the helicopter. Well, and Galt, they make Galt just such a, Again, this is one of the differences kind of between the book and the movie. They make Galt just such a piece of shit in this. I mean, he's the real villain of this movie, right? Because he's the one who starts actually assaulting Rambo in the in the police station. You know, he's the one that hits him with the nightstick. He's the one that actually triggers Rambo's breakdown. So like they set it up perfectly that the giant piece of shit can die and yet we can still feel sympathetic for Rambo because Rambo didn't try and kill him. He again was just trying to be left alone. If you had just had let him go. Yeah. None of this happened. How did you feel like Sylvester Stallone did in this this film as the titular character John Rambo? So I I read a story that said, and I don't know if it's true, it's certainly apocryphal, that the original cut came in at about three hours and Stallone hated it so badly, he actually tried to buy it back so that he could destroy it. And when that failed, he his suggestion and again, it's hard to know because Stallone is he's so good at myth building himself like the the man can build himself as a as a hero. Uh, But his suggestion was remove as much of his performance as you can and allow the other characters like Tiesel and Troutman and even David Caruso to tell the story of who John Rambo is. And what we get then, I think, because of that is such a lean, brilliant, stunning performance from Stallone that is up there with the best he's ever given, you know, because he has what? I don't know. 20, 25 lines in this movie. I mean, it's all physical acting for the most part until we get to the end. And then we get that that's it's soliloquy is really the only way to describe it of and I mean, his guts are all over me and he's like, I want to go home and I'm like, I can't find your legs. Where are your legs? You know, and he's so good and that scene. Just I cannot watch that without just bawling yeah, every yeah. single time. Um If people want to say, come at me and say Sylvester Stallone's a bad actor, I will 100% tell you, I think he has given some of the worst performances I have ever seen in my life, but he is not a bad actor and I will show you this movie Yeah, because he's amazing in it. Well, if if there is any truth to what you said about there being a three-hour cut and then Stallone insisting on going the direction you said, if there's any truth to that, it just speaks to how brilliant Stallone is. I mean, people, I mean, people forget, like, he's an excellent writer. He, he's, he's a good director. I think, I think he gets kind of like, sort of, uh, you know, lumped into the sort of the, the dumb action hero guy. But I, I believe Stallone 
and sometimes to his detriment, is a very intelligent and very smart and very has his ear to the ground, knows what's going on in the industry. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I mean, his, again, this is what I said when we talked earlier about how I think Schwarzenegger has a much more consistent career, but I think Stallone's highs are are so much higher. And, And I think it is because of that. He is a creator. He is an artist. He's not just an actor. He's a writer. He's a director. He's a producer. And sometimes that has really blown up in his face. But other times his ability, you know, if he if he doesn't push along with the other screenwriters to change the ending of this movie to the way that they do, John Rambo is not an icon. John Rambo is a forgotten 1982 Vietnam action movie because I think the way he plays Rambo, Rambo cannot have the same ending in the movie. And I think that was the right decision because this movie is, um, and the, the last 10 minutes of this movie is just some of the best cinema I have ever seen in my life. And I will stand by that until I turn blue in the face. Let's talk about the two different endings to this film. The one, the the final cut of the film and the one that was, that was shot, but was ultimately axed from the film. And then we'll get into a discussion of the differences between the book and the movie. So uh, the original ending of this film had Rambo essentially committing suicide. And Correct. You can go on YouTube and you can find that it's available uh, as deleted scenes on the on the Blu-ray. That was good. <laughs> you, one could say that was good. Uh, you know, good foresight for for Stallone to see that. You know what? There might be a franchise in this character. I don't think he was really thinking that at the time, but just looking back at you know what became of the character of John Rambo, that was a smart decision to probably go with the ending we ended up having. Which do you think would ultimately would have been more effective? Taking away all the other Rambo films in the franchise, and this is just a standalone movie, which ending would be more effective in your opinion? I still have a hard time not liking the actual ending that we got. I, I I love, I think the alternate ending where he essentially commits suicide, I think is powerful. I think it's moving. I think you could have slotted it in and it would have been just fine. But I still don't think it's necessarily true to the story that they're trying to tell here. They're, they're, the thing about First Blood that makes it, you know, and like you said, we'll talk about the differences in the book. But the thing about First Blood that I think makes it so different from the book is it is ultimately an optimistic movie. It is an optimistic movie that settles on you don't have to be defined by your past. You don't have to play out the role that life has necessarily set out for you. Um, and I think ultimately that's the ending that we get is Rambo choosing I think it's so important that he chooses to live for the movie that they're telling because he's not a weapon that is just going off half cocked in this movie. He's not a machine that can't be shut down. You know, he's making conscious decisions here to not kill people. He's making conscious decisions to try and get out of this and escape from this. And so I think it's so important at the end of this movie that he chooses to live uh, that I feel like the the suicide ending kind of would undercut that message. Now, it's certainly open to interpretation and I still think that ending could have been powerful. This is just me. I I'm getting very personal about my relationship with this movie, but I think that is the right ending that they went with. Okay. And I'm going to agree with you on that one. I read First Blood about six years ago. I got it off Amazon. I think I paid a dollar for just a paperback of the book. I was just curious. I was, you know, I knew that the book was out there and I had heard that it was vastly different from the film, but I don't think I was prepared for just how different the character of Rambo is in First Blood, the novel versus First Blood, the movie. And I will just start by saying that my interpretation of the book is that he is the antagonist of the story in the novel. Would you agree? Whether he's actually the antagonist or not, I think it's fair to say he's a monster. I mean, he's an absolute monster. And and he is everything. Everything that I just said about why the ending in the movie works and why, you know, he's not just a machine that can't be shut off. He's not just that doesn't apply to the book. He is a weapon that can't 
be holstered. I mean, he is he goes off and he goes off fast in the book. I mean, and and we get, you know, one of the biggest changes is when he breaks out of the police station. You know, it, it plays fairly similar up to that point. Yeah. And then we get the breakout in the police station and he just kills the shit out of like six cops. Yeah. Like slices one guy right open, you know, and it's like, oh, you are not a like you're not a sympathetic you're you're a monster <laughs> um and you know and i think that is the biggest difference between the book and the movie a couple other things i just want to put up the book takes place in kentucky and i remember reading it and you said like you said it's about 250 pages and i agree with you that it's very similar i mean he actually gets to a diner in the book he actually gets to order some food in the book if it's it's been a few years but i, I think i remember that am i correct yeah he actually tried well he tries to order a burger and Tiesel comes in and stops him and lets him order the burger, but then like puts him in the car yeah. and tells him to, yeah. I remember reading all that. Go, okay, this is, you know, this is, remember, I'm reading this book having seen First Blood, having seen the movie. I think Rambo is the sympathetic character in the book. And I'm just trying to take everyone through my first experience reading it. And when we get to the police station and like you said, he slices him open, like, it's it's very graphically laid out that yeah he disembowels the guy like it's brutal and he escapes the uh, police station naked like he's got no clothes on like and he's just into the hills and i remember you know he, he comes across the moonshiners and the whole night <laughs> because it was kentucky of course but i kept having these parallels in my mind of the of the movie and i kept going this is so much more intense and you know when they're all the deputies are, are searching for him in the mountains he fucking kills them all yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, he he kills my God. I don't even know how many people he kills in the book. It, it's 30, 40. Yeah. I mean, he just kills people left and right in the book. Um, he's a it's a completely different character putting that. I mean, so like he's just not the I, I remember about halfway through the book. I just came to this realization that. I don't know who the hero of this story is, if there is a hero of this story. But this is just really disturbing. But it was a page turner. Holy shit, it was a page turner. Well, and I think so for those, I don't remember if I mentioned this earlier, but I had never read it. So I just read it a couple of weeks ago in preparation for this podcast. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's interesting is for those who haven't read it, um, Morel alternates chapters. Each chapter, one chapter is from Rambo's perspective. The other is from Tiesel's perspective. Because what the book is really about is these two I mean, the book might as well be called Toxic Masculinity, the book, right? Like, it's about these two proud vets that don't see eye to eye and they just keep this continually escalating war because they're too proud to back down. Uh, but it's a little more difficult in the book because Rambo does kill everybody. So you have a hard time looking at Tiesel and saying, well, you just got to let that go. Like, you can't let that go. And the other thing is, is I think some of the supporting characters are more interesting. You know, Orville, who barely has a role in the movie, is a major character in the book. He's an old friend of Tiesel's. He's basically a surrogate father, and he ends up getting killed by Rambo, which motivates Tiesel even more. And uh, I think the really interesting thing is because Morel alternates chapters, he leads us down to where by the end of the book, Rambo and Tiesel kind of start thinking like one another which is how we end up with their final showdown because they're both anticipating one another's moves, which I thought was a really interesting way for the book to go. They were, they were evenly matched. I mean, they mm -hmm. were, I mean, that's the thing where, you know, when you look at the movie, Denny, he's, he's kind of out of shape in the movie. And there's that, that, that very first introduction of him when he's walking out of the police station, you know, and he's sort of, you know, he takes a big, you know, a, a deep breath in kind of belches for a moment. And he kind of just pats his stomach. You know, it's sort of establishing that he's, he's, you know, he's out of shape. You know, he's just a, just a small town sheriff and, and Rambo is just this, you know, you see him with his shirt off and he's just cut and ripped. But in the book, like, yeah, there's a, there's an age difference between the two, but Teasel was an elite soldier during his time. And when he was in, in, in the Korean war, like, they're evenly matched in the book. And that's, and like you said, when we get to the end, I mean, and my goodness, do we want to spoil the ending? Do we talk about the ending of the book? Because it's fucking incredible. I, I think we have to. I think we're not doing, I mean, 
We've already said there's spoilers. I think we're not doing an actual discussion of the book versus the movie without talking about the end. Because the the ending is, you know, the book is very different, but the ending is perhaps the most important difference out of all of them. So I'll let you since you just read the since you just read the book, um, I'll let you just discuss the uh, the ending and um, ultimately who lives and who doesn't live. And it's quite I think it'll be quite surprising for those that have not read the book, but have only seen the movie. Yeah. And and I think one of the other things that I need to really lay the groundwork on for this, too, is Troutman. Uh, Troutman in the book is very different. He has a lot of the same dialogue, but he doesn't actually have a personal connection to Rambo. He oversaw Rambo's team, but he wasn't actually Rambo's trainer. And, and Rambo barely even remembers him. Rambo comments that he's some guy he saw on the base several times. So it's more Troutman's more there to avoid an embarrassing situation for the army. Um, he's he's much less connected to John um, and trying to bring him in. It's much more. It is much more a situation of one of your boys has gone off and you got to bring him in. So the end of the book, we basically get same thing. Rambo blows up the police station, blows up you know good portions of the town. It's not quite as epic as him sitting there trashing everything with an M60. He's using dynamite and stuff. But Tiesel's able to anticipate where he goes, and they end up essentially seriously wounding each other. And then ultimately Rambo wants to kill himself, but he decides the noble way to go is to face Tiesel almost old West style. And, uh, and he does, and he ends up killing Tiesel. Tiesel doesn't kill him, even though Rambo is realistically very mortally wounded at this point. Rambo tries to blow himself up with dynamite and Troutman puts a shotgun shell on the back of his head Um, because Troutman just stone cold is like, all right, this is a rabid dog I've got to put down. And that's pretty much where it ends. Tiesel bleeds out and dies. Um, They both die feeling somewhat honored, but somewhat stupid. Uh, And there's a lot of throughout the book of Rambo going back and forth of like, you could have walked away from this. No, they started it. And, and Tiesel kind of doing the same thing. And they both end up being their own worst enemies and resulting in their own deaths. It's a gut punch of an ending. It yeah. is not an optimistic. And, you know, I said it was so important to me in the movie that Rambo chooses to live. That's not an option in this book. This book ends the only way it can end. The only way it can end is with Troutman putting a shotgun shell in the back of Rambo's head. There's no other option to end this book. Absolutely. And what uh, we'll talk about in the next episode is that uh, David Morrell actually would go on to write the adaptations for the next couple films in the Rambo series. You know, he even has to write a forward to the book kind of explaining, justifying why he's doing this, knowing that the character of Rambo died at the end of First Blood, which we'll get into that. Yeah, I just think, I think it's brilliant that his contract when he sold the movie said that they can make as many Rambo movies as they want, but he's the only one that can write the character of John Rambo. So they had to go to him to do the novelization. And we'll we'll certainly talk more about all of that, but I just think that's that's absolutely fascinating to me. Typically, this would be the part of the episode where we talk about the things we like and don't like about this film, but I think that's kind of a moot point this is pretty much universally like we're we're praising this movie yeah i mean i there's nothing this is this is akin to us talking about you know 1984 terminator the first terminator like there's there's nothing about this movie that i don't think i i think this movie works on every single level it's so vastly different after you read the book to watch this film like you, you'll watch it from a different perspective, this film. But I, I would urge everyone, if you've never read the book, seek it out. I mean, I know we've spoiled it for you already, but look, you can get it for a dollar on Amazon, you know. Well, and and I will say I was spo- I knew the I'd known the ending of the book for years. So I and it didn't phase my enjoyment of it at all. Um, you know, I knew that Rambo was much a much different character. It didn't phase Morell is such a good damn author that it doesn't matter. Uh, and he keeps the book just moving at a clip. It's it's lean, it's mean, it's efficient. It's it's a nasty piece of writing, and I, I mean nasty in the best possible way. Uh, it's really a strong recommendation. And I will also say for me, 
it made me appreciate the movie even that much more because it really solidified in my mind why I love the movie character of John Rambo so much because he could have been so different and he wouldn't have been nearly as inspiring or optimistic or moving as the the Rambo that we get in First Blood. Can we just talk about Jerry Goldsmith's score? Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. I mean iconic the rambo theme is is I, I jerry goldsmith is a legend he's an all-timer anyway but the rambo theme the it's a long road both the lyric version but the instrumental version is just such an you know we talked so much about how iconic um brad fidel's terminator theme is this one might almost be even more iconic man certainly uh, equally as as important as an an iconic to the character i can't see john rambo without hearing that music in the back of my head would you agree i a hundred percent and and thankfully it's used throughout the entire franchise and i just i just think yeah i agree it is I'm, i'm glad you brought that up i uh if we would have done this episode without mentioning that that the original score for this film, we would have been doing this movie a a big disservice. So I agree with you 100%. So let me ask you this, Mike, would you recommend 1982's First Blood? I would actually give it honestly the highest possible recommendation that i could give this is this is up there with the original terminator for me as far as you know these i think this movie is is absolutely amazing and i think there's so much more going on you know rambo's become such a pop culture caricature that i think if you haven't seen this movie you'd be very surprised about what's how much is going on in this movie and just how friggin' terrific Stallone is in it. He's so good in this movie. Um, yeah, I, I can't recommend this movie high enough. I'm right there with you. Uh, there's nothing more I need to add to it. I, I think it's, it's such a brilliant film and it's, I mean, it's, I'm watching it again today and you know me with my practical effects and I'm just watching some of this stunt work and I'm going, yeah. Yep, there's not a, a glimmer of CGI anywhere in this film, and there won't be CGI for another seven years. <laughs> so I'm watching <laughs> the movie just sort of smiling about that. We're going to get into Rambo First Blood Part 2 on the next episode, and there's going to be a whole lot to unpack with that, because that's when the character of Rambo sort of transcends above what he became, what what he was in First Blood. And there's there's going to be a hell of a discussion on that one, so I look forward to it. I agree. There's a lot of good and a lot of bad and a lot of just stuff to unpack. And you mentioned it already, but unpacking what Morell does in the novelization, I I can't wait to talk about that because that's just fantastic. And there's even an animated series that comes out of this character. So... (laughs) There is, and I still have a couple of those Rambo figures packed away in storage. So So it's – again, again, we're not going to get into it right now. On the next episode, Rambo becomes larger than life. Let's just leave it at that. So – Mike, if people want to follow you on social media. Uh, I am at Hibachi Justice on Twitter. I am also at Hibachi Justice on Letterboxd, where I review every movie I watch. And you can also find our ongoing list of uh, 20th Century Movie Club recommendations. But do, honestly, if you want to find me, Twitter is the best place to find me. You can follow this show on Twitter at Dana Buckler Show. You can follow me on Twitter at Dana Buckler. I'm on Instagram at The Dana Buckler Show. I'm also on Instagram at The Real Dana Buckler. You can email the show with questions or comments at The Dana Buckler Show at gmail.com. Mike, thanks. This was good. We're off. I think we're off to a great start. I'm looking forward to, you know, several more discussions. I'm very excited for this series. I think this series just I'll just say, you know, I liked the Terminator series. We had a lot of fun on it, but just this series has a lot more meaning for me personally, um, just in terms of its influence on my life and stuff. So I'm really excited to dig into this one. Overall, the franchise is a little more cohesive than, say, the Terminator franchise. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, because, again, there's no Rambo movie that doesn't have active participation from Sylvester Stallone. So the character is, I think, consistent more or less throughout the entire series. And that's that's what really ties it together. Outstanding. All right, Mike, until next time. Until next time, buddy. All right. My name is Dana Buckler, and thank you so much for listening.